0: must be at least 18 years old. Promo code, location, and other restrictions apply. See terms of use for details. Please play responsibly. Call 800-426-2537 for help. Think you know sports? Then try to turn your sports knowledge into real money with the Sleeper app, the ultimate fantasy sports app that can turn game day into payday. With up to 100 times payout and your first deposit matched up to $500. Just download the Sleeper app and pick your favorite sports and players, like Christian McCaffrey's rushing yards. With more stats than any sports app, just choose two or more of your favorite players from pregame, live, or even across different sports. Pick more or less from the predicted stats and ka You could win up to 100 times your money if your pick wins. With the Sleeper app, you can make picks anytime, even after the game starts, with up to 100 times payout. What are you waiting for? Download Sleeper today and unlock one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports apps in the world. Just go to the App Store, download the Sleeper app today and use code SPORTS for up to $500 match on your first deposit. That's promo code SPORTS. Bunker, somewhere outside of Nashville, Tennessee, this is the award-winning podcast, Reality.
1: Well, what's up, everybody? My name's Sandman, and I'm going to be your host tonight. Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to guide us all through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call parareality. Well, before we jump right into tonight's episode, let me tell you how you can contact me here at the podcast, because there are a few different ways you can go about it, and here they are. Make sure you write this down so you don't forget it. I say it every podcast, but here you go. All right, first of all, quickest, easiest way to get in touch with me is an email. My email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Second, you can message me on Facebook. And if you're not already a member of my Facebook or a follower of my Facebook page, all you got to do is go to facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. Look me up there on Facebook and send me a message on Facebook. You can also follow me on my Facebook page. Third thing you can do is follow me in my other social media accounts, which would be Twitter and Instagram, and you can send me a message on either one of those. My username is at parareal radio, and that's both for Instagram and Twitter. That's at Parareal Radio on Instagram and Twitter. So those are all the ways that you can contact me here at the show. Once again, Email quickest and easiest sandman at parareality.com. Send me a message on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash sandman.parareality and message me on Facebook. Or you can just send me a DM. You can slide right into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Radio on both of those. And let's not forget, you can always call me on the studio line here in the bunker That number is 615-692-1170. Once again, 615-692-1170. You can always call me 24-7-365 here in the bunker and leave me a message on the voicemail. Now, if you do decide to go ahead and leave me a message, just remember that you're giving me permission to play your comment back on the podcast. So if you don't want that to happen, You'll need to let me know somewhere in your message. Now, I'm always looking for interesting stories for the podcast, so if you've got a story that you'd like to get on the show here and you want to tell it, just tell it to me over the voicemail. And uh, if you run out of time, call back and pick up right where you left off. I think there's a uh, three-minute limit on the voicemail. Now, this is not some sort of fancy voicemail where you call it up and you hear, you know... You have reached Sandman at Reality, And there's spooky music and shit playing in the background. No, dude, look, this is Skype, okay? So it's, uh, you don't, there, there's no voicemail thing on Skype that you can leave. You just, you, you just, there's no message. You just call up, you know, there's no greeting. That's what I'm trying to say. You just call up, you you get the number, and you you call it up, and you just leave the message once the, the pre-scripted Skype thing answers. So... Don't worry if you get some sort of generic message. You've got the right number as long as you call 615-692-1170. All right, so back on Christmas Day last year, if you'll remember, there's a man by the name of Anthony Quinn Warner, better known to the world as the Nashville Bomber, or at least if you listen to this podcast, that's what he's most famously known as. He drove his RV right into the heart of downtown Nashville's historic district and parked it at the intersection of 2nd and Commerce Streets. And he did this about one twenty-two in the morning on Christmas morning. And once he was there, he proceeded with an incredibly elaborate plan to blow himself up in what I, I'll say is a most extreme and violent way. Since then, there's been an extremely long and thorough federal investigation, and we've really learned, um, I would say, not a lot about the Nashville bomber. We've learned things like, you know, what he did for his career. We've learned some of his personal contacts, and we've learned some of his incredibly strange conspiracy theory beliefs. But what we still really don't know at all we don't have much of a clue of as of this moment is what exactly his motivation was for blowing himself and an entire historic city block up and we also don't know why he chose the location that he chose and if the feds know well they haven't released anything yet, but they're slated to give their final reports sometime next month in March, but I don't have an exact date. I just know it's supposed to be sometime next month. Until then, though, I'm going to be reviewing what we do know about this guy on tonight's episode, and I'll speculate as maybe as to what his motivations behind it all were. Now, I've already devoted three entire episodes to this very topic, so if you haven't heard them yet, I suggest that you head on over to Parareality.com and check out the archive section because there may be some spoilers here, but to learn what they are, you'll have to turn on, tune in, and find out. All right, it is time for the... Ooh, I got something in my mouth. Jesus, sorry about it. It is time for fan mail, one of my favorite parts of the show. Gonna be short and sweet this episode. This comes from, and I, I'm going to try to pronounce this. Um, I know I'm going to slaughter it. It's comes from Twitter. One of my followers on Twitter. His name, his Twitter handle is Venous one, V-I-N-I-O-U-S. Venous 1. And he says, Hello, sir. Awesome podcast on cemeteries. I just wanted to ask, are ghosts attracted to UV radiations or any radiations? Well, Venous, thank you for that Twitter question. And uh, the short answer is no. Not that I'm aware of. I've never heard or seen or or read anything about ghosts being attracted to UV radiation or any particular type of radiation of any kind. So that's the kind of short answer. i was going to keep it kind of short and sweet because you really can't elaborate a lot on a no answer on that. Um, I've uh, done a lot of research in the paranormal, obviously. Uh, And I've never run across anything that said that um, ghosts were attracted to to UV. Uh, I'm sure there's probably people out there who's done uh, some experiments with UV and everything, and and I don't know if they've caught any any spirits or ghosts because of that or not. I, um, I have no idea, but as far as I know, ghosts are not attracted to UV radiation or UV light of any kind. And thank you for your question, Benoist, and I'm sorry if I totally slaughtered your name, your handle. Sorry about that. All right, let's get right into it tonight, and let's start talking about Anthony Quinn Warner, better known on this podcast as the Nashville Bomber. <clears throat> so a friend of, the Nashville bomber by the name of Crystal Deck was opening presents on Christmas morning. And she heard the news that there was an enormous explosion that had just devastated an entire historic city block in the heart of downtown Nashville. And according to her, this is what she says is that she knew instantly that the bomber was one of her dearest friends. Anthony Quinn Warner, and she quickly began fitting clues together that he had dropped over the course of a few weeks, including a series of particular episodes that she had dismissed as inconsequential, but when she looked back on it, said it really proved to be central to his suicide plot. So apparently weeks earlier, Deck had found Warner fiddling with a Pre-recorded female voice on his laptop, and he had played her the uh, 1964 Petulia Clark hit "Downtown," and he was praising the song's significant spirit. And of course, both of these things became, you know, central to what was going on whenever he blew himself and an entire city block up on Christmas Day. Now, Warner had told her that he was hatching something that would bring the police to her door, but until the moment where she heard that someone blew up downtown Nashville, she didn't really understand the magnitude of his plan. And the info that I have, she doesn't elaborate as to, you know, If someone said to me, hey, I'm working on something that's going to make the police come knocking on your door, my first question would be like, what the hell are you working on and why are the police going to come see me? Don't get me involved. That would have been the, you know, I think anybody who, any logical sane person would do the same thing. But she doesn't elaborate uh, as to what the conversation was after that. So I don't know. Maybe she just didn't give a shit. I have no idea. So, as I said earlier, in the pre-dawn hours of Christmas morning on 2020, around 1.22 a.m. to be precise, Warner drove his booby-trapped RV to 2nd Avenue North and parked it at the intersection of 2nd and Commerce Streets. And then uh, around 6.30 in the morning, blew himself up and in the process damaged approximately 50 buildings, collapsing a few of them and shearing the antique brick facades off of others. That, that's going to require years and years to fix and tens of millions of dollars to restore because, I, as I keep saying, that was a historic district of downtown Nashville, and every building down there was historic. So you fast forward now, and it's two months later. And the blast area chests. It remains a confused, desolate patchwork of boarded-up buildings and cyclone fencing and uneven reconstruction efforts. And it's just—it looks like literally like something you would see uh, off of a a war zone on TV. Now, I went down there a few weeks ago, and I took some pictures uh, of the um, the devastation and I've been waiting to post them on the social media accounts because I wanted to do this episode. I wanted to do a catch-up episode. So by the time you hear this episode, I will have pictures posted on the Facebook page for Parareality. And uh, if you want to check them out, just go to facebook.com slash sandman.parareality, and you can Check them out there on the Facebook page. I'll probably also uh, tweet a few out or maybe post some Instagram pictures or something like that. If you want to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, that's at Para Real Radio on both of those. So the explosion happened right in front of the AT&T hub that was downtown. And it crippled cellular, internet, and cable service Across not just the Middle Tennessee area, but several states for two days, and what that did was it really underscored the vulnerability of these. This of something were going on. It showed how unprotected and unprepared we were for something like this. Now, this affected uh, the entire Middle Tennessee area up into southern Kentucky, over into Georgia. I mean, it was a wide-range uh, effect that happened when this guy blew up the at and hub. So his motive, though, we don't really know. Like I said, it's just shrouded in mystery. But it appears that a bunch of false information and some outlandish conspiracy theories had crept their way into his mind and... and uh, he really got wrapped up in all these things, and, and that might, I, I believe it was a, a driving force for him to blow up an entire city block of downtown Nashville, himself included. Now, this mindset has become alarmingly familiar to law enforcement officials that are now reckoning with the destructive force of conspiracy theories that mutate endlessly online and played a huge role in the January sixth attack, the insurrection on the U.S. Capitol, and I have been saying for quite a while now that conspiracy theorists. There's first of all, there's nothing wrong with being a conspiracy theorist. I myself am a conspiracy theorist. I'm not as out there as some of my fellow conspiracy theorists are, but that's okay. Everybody's got their own thing, right? And it's okay to be a conspiracy theorist, and it's okay to follow a conspiracy theorist. It's okay to believe in conspiracy theories. But as a conspiracy theorist, I have long been saying that we really Need to be held accountable for what we're touting, for what we're spewing out there, and what we're making people believe, or what we're trying to make people believe. What we're, what our theories are. We really need to be more responsible about that. And as a conspiracy theorist, if I am touting something that is uh, that makes people do stupid and dangerous stuff, like I don't know storm the U.S. Capitol and try and take over the government, I think I should be held responsible uh, because it's my belief that I'm spreading out there. If I'm the originator of the conspiracy theory or if I'm one of its most outspoken people and I have a lot of followers and I'm saying stuff that causes harm, that's dangerous, that gets people killed or hurt, or maimed, or whatever, I should be held responsible. So as conspiracy theorists, we really, really need to watch what it is we're saying to people when it comes to our theories. There's nothing wrong with promoting a conspiracy theory. It's the way you promote it, and it's what you're trying to motivate people to do that can be dangerous. And we need to really, as conspiracy theorists, go, stop take a step back and reevaluate ourselves and make sure that we're not making people do dangerous stuff. So I'm going to get off my soapbox about that, and I'm going to start, I'm going to get on with with the podcast. So obviously the January 6th attack on the insurrection on the U.S. Capitol, that had a lot to do, probably 100% to do with QAnon. But Warner wasn't among these angry QAnon followers. Now, these people believed this dumbass theory, one of the dumbest conspiracy theories. Now, there are a lot of dumb conspiracy theories out there. This, as far as I'm concerned, is like, I'd have to say right now, it's my number one dumbest conspiracy theory of all time. So they believe that Donald J. Trump would hold on to power by defeating some sort of satanic cabal, that he was fighting the Hollywood powers that be and the government powers that had some secret club where they would kidnap babies, they would uh, eat them, they would kidnap people and get what is it, adrenochrome from them, and I don't know what they're supposed to do with this adrenochrome. But Trump was supposed to be the, you know, the person that was at the head of fighting all this, and the only way that we could defeat these people was if he retained power. And it goes a little bit deeper than that, but that's that's about the gist of it. It's just the stupidest, the the dumbest. Freaking thing! It goes to show you that there are people out there and there are millions of QAnon followers and it just goes to show you that people will believe anything. How dumb do you have to be to believe this? It's crazy. So, like I said, Warner, though, wasn't among the QAnon followers. He was a computer specialist with a deep distrust of government, though, and according to his own writings and those who knew him he would say all the time that he did not trust the government. Now, he was mostly a loner, but he did have a few friends, and one of them, a female, said that he had made her feel, quote, manipulated and frightened, and that he had cultivated a bizarre obsession with the shape-shifting alien lizards and a dense thicket of other peculiar ideas, according to what she says. I don't know what that dense thicket of other peculiar ideas were. I do know that Warner mailed out packages to several close friends and acquaintances right before he blew himself up. And uh, it was full of just ramblings and all kind of writings about lizard people and, and all this other weird stuff. But I don't know everything. I'm hoping that the FBI will make these documents available because I would love, 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 love to read these things. Now, I was talking about this lady named Crystal Deck. Now, she was Warner's best friend, I guess you could say, in the final months of his life, and she believes that some combination of uh, a diagnosis of cancer combined with these beliefs and these conspiracy theories led Warner to blow himself up in such a brutally spectacular manner. Now, she says that he was, quote, Trying to escape, he talked about going out on his own terms. So I don't know if the cancer diagnosis was something that was real or if he was making that up. Um, He was in the process of giving a lot of his personal possessions away, and one of the things that he said was that I have cancer and I'm dying. So we don't know. This is, as of right now, all this is unconfirmed. We do know that he was saying he was had, that he had cancer. We don't know if he actually had cancer, so we don't know if that played into anything. So, but we do have like undisputed proof that he was telling people he had, he had cancer. So the FBI and other federal and law enforcement agencies investigating the bombing have not made any of their findings public yet. As I was saying, although we do expect a report to be given sometime in March, the only thing that they'll say is early March, no date yet. So hopefully we'll have some more clarification on this stuff, and I'm hoping that they will release at least part of this packet of stuff that he sent out to people. Please, please, please release it, FBI. We need to know these things. So whatever else might have been on Warner's mind during the time leading up to his death, he apparently had been fixated for years on the notion that alien reptiles who inhabited underground tunnels controlled the earth and controlled humankind and was behind you know every major historic event in history for hundreds or if not thousands of years now this is a fantasy that was concocted and spread by notorious british conspiracy theorist david icke And like I said, this theory basically says that giant lizards appear among us as humans, disguised as humans somehow, and have been manipulating all of the events on this planet for centuries. And that sounds like the longest con in history to me. So what the end game of all these lizard people manipulations and machinations going on is, I don't know. I don't know if, if David Icke even knows when he invented this crazy conspiracy theory. It's amazing how you, oh, well, I've got I've got it figured out. There are lizard people, and they're controlling all the events that happen on the earth. Yeah, yeah. Well, how come we haven't seen them? Oh, uh, because they look like humans, even though they're lizard people. Yeah, they disguise themselves as us. Yeah, that's how that's how we that's how they. Yeah. Well, how do you know this? Uh, I had to get back to you on that one. <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. Anyway, by the summer of 2019, Warner. Was making his friend Pamela Perry increasingly anxious, and this is according to a man by the name of, this is a, this is a great name, Raymond Throckmorton the Throckmorton is a Nashville lawyer who had represented both uh, Perry and Warner on various matters, so he knew both of them. Now, Perry had. Numerous contacts with Mr. Throckmorton where she was, quote, emotionally distraught and had been whipped into a frenzy of emotion by apparently crazy things or threatening or unusual things that Tony had said to her. And that's according to what, that's a quote from Throckmorton. And he also said, I think he just sensed that she was at a weak point in her life and it was someone He could manipulate, dominate, or control. So in August of 2019, Perry told the police that she believed Warner was building bombs in his RV that he had parked outside of his house on Bakertown Lane there in the Antioch area of Nashville. Now, Mr. Throckmorton told the police that Warner was capable of building explosives. So police officers went to his home, but neither the Nashville police or the FBI pursued any type of investigation. So there's a police and municipal review committee that's now trying to find out why this didn't happen. Um, the preliminary uh, excuse that I heard was that uh, when they went there, they had no reason uh, to believe or to per, to pursue a search warrant. That they just had someone who said he's building bombs. It was kind of like he said, she said. Someone said, "Well, he's building a bomb." Well, where's your proof? You know, do you do we have any other proof? Well, no. I just know that that's what he's doing. Well, that's not enough to uh, get a search warrant. And I, you know, at at that point, what are you going to do? You know, you can't violate the person's rights. Even if he is building a bomb in there, you can't violate his rights by forcing your way in. Now, if you knew he was building a bomb, if the person said, yeah, I know he's building a bomb, look, I took some pictures or I took a video, or if there's, you know, five people saying, yeah, we think this dude's building a bomb, then yeah, you can probably get a uh a search warrant, if you got just one person saying, yeah, I think this guy's building a bomb, you know, just, just because an attorney says, well, he's capable of building it. That doesn't mean that he's building it, you know? So I'm interested to see what this committee uh, and the internal investigation for Nashville PD finds out about why they didn't pursue this anyway. So Warner apparently liked, befriending females, because all of his friends are females, So that was what uh, Pam Perry had said uh, to the police. Hey, I think he's building a bomb in the RV. And we get back to Crystal Deck, his other friend. Now, she first met Warner several months later when he came into the South Nashville Waffle House where she worked. And this is what she said about the first time she met him. Quote, The first time I met him, I just thought... His cornbread wasn't really done in the middle, and he was off a little bit. Now that is a Southern saying. If there was ever a Southern saying, I'm from the South, and I have never heard that. His cornbread wasn't done in the middle. I'm gonna have to use that when I start talking about people. That's the that's the that's perfect perfectly describes all the, QAnon people. Their cornbread's not done in the middle. <laughs> It's raw in the middle. <laughs> oh, God. <clears throat> so she says that there were two distinct sides to Warner. There was the man who spent countless hours glued to his computer, you know, steeping himself in all these conspiracy theories, these eccentric plots and lizard people and government conspiracies and all this. There's also the man who was nice and normal. He did things like fix the windshield wipers on her on her truck. He uh, repaired her computer. And there was occasions where he paid the tab for dozens of other diners, diners at the Waffle House. So he apparently was a, f- a frequent flyer there, a frequent customer. And uh, she had a, a, a little Yorkie named Bubba, a little Yorkie dog named Bubba. And he would take her dogs for walks in the park for her. So he was very, very kind and generous. That doesn't mean that he wasn't crazy because you can be crazy and still be kind and generous, but, you know, he did have these two distinct sides, the conspiracy theory side and then the, you know, the kind, I wouldn't hurt a fly, I'll do anything to help you give you the shirt off my back person. But you fast forward a little bit, and then when Deck began visiting Warner in his duplex in in South Nashville in the Antioch area, he told her that no one had visited him for 20 years. And his distrust of the government dated to roughly the same time period. So for 20 years he had been, I don't know, not trusting the government for whatever. And he uh, also subscribed to the, a nine eleven conspiracy theory that it was an inside job rather than an terrorist attack by Al Qaeda, and Dex said that uh, she thinks that he started on the the path that led him to downtown Nashville at least twenty years ago because, according to her, he would tell her like frequently that, and I quote, nine one one, or nine eleven, should I say nine eleven is what did it for me." End quote. Now, Warner grew up here in the Nashville area and he attended local Catholic schools and served two years in the Navy and in the mid nineteen that was in the mid-1970s. And he never mentioned any family to her except for a dead brother. Uh, his mother and sister, who are alive, um, they're not talking publicly. I'm sure they've talked to the to the cops, but they're not talking publicly. So we don't know what his relationship was with them, but uh, if he had this quote-unquote close friend in, in uh, Crystal Deck who would come over and see him, and the only person he talked about was his dead brother, then I imagine that his relationship with, with the rest of his family uh, was very strained. Now, there's a former employer of Warner by the name of Tom Lundborg He owns and runs a Nashville-based electronic security firm, and he said that he first met Warner years ago when Warner was working as a technician for the company, which was then uh, run by Lundborg's parents. Now, back then, apparently this was a while ago because Warner was in his 20s, and um, this just kind of goes to show, I guess, the mindset of someone even, you know, how long he's been Weird, because he was in his 20s, but he was, according to Lundborg, dating his own cousin. Now, that's a little weird. Um, don't know, like, was it his first, second cousin? If it's like your, I think it was anything like past your fourth cousin or your fifth cousin. I think it's like they consider it to be okay, but... Not in my book. If you're my cousin, I ain't, ain't, you know. Anyway, uh, Lundborg goes on to say that he was, quote, a really nice-looking guy back then. He had long, fluffy hair, a magnum P.I. type mustache, and girls liked him. So apparently he was personable even back then, but he was still a little weird dating his own cousin. That's a red flag in my book. (laughs) Now, Warner had fights with his family, too, so, uh, like I said, his his mother and his sister who are alive, they're not publicly talking about him. And he, and he didn't mention them as being, you know, family members or didn't mention them at all to his friend, Crystal Deck. So why would that be? Well, I said his relationship with them was probably strained because of this. So, yeah, it was strained because back in 2019, He was in a court battle with his elderly mother after trying to give away his brother who died, his late brother's house. The problem was that his elderly mother was living in the house and he was trying to give the house away. So was he thinking about enacting this plan back in 2019 Because remember, he was given all of his possessions away. He gave his duplex away to someone who lived in California. Just gave it to them, right? He gave his car away. He gave basically everything that he had away except for what was with that RV and what was with him in it. And his dog who died with him in the blast, you stupid bastard. Give your dog away too, for Christ's sakes. God. So maybe... Back in 2019 was when he hatched the plot, and he was planning for it then, but once again, we don't know. In recent years, he was earning money through freelance IT work for local businesses, including answering service calls. And according to Deck, she says he was really proud of his computer skills and that, quote, he loved how smart he was. (coughs) So... That tells you he was he was not only nice and kind and crazy. He was also arrogant. If he loved how smart he was, he was always bragging about how smart he was. That's a little arrogance, if you ask me. There's nothing wrong with being proud of being smart, but it's the way you you brag about it that that uh, can go towards arrogance, right? So one of the things that he had come to do a lot, one of his favorite pastimes was camping in Montgomery Bell, Montgomery Bell Park which is uh, west of Nashville um, and the reason why he was camping regularly in Montgomery Bell, Montgomery Bell Park apparently I can't say that the reason he was camping regularly in Montgomery Bell Park was because of his conspiracy theories he considered the park to be prime hunting ground for the alien reptilians. Why? I don't know. I, I, I wish that I did, but I, I I really don't know. Once again, maybe he spelled that out in some of the, the writings that he sent out to his uh, friends and stuff. I would love to read it. Maybe I need to go out to Montgomery Bell Park and camp and look for aliens. I don't know. Be a fun camping trip. Anyway, he described struggling to spot these reptilians with infrared goggles or infrared binoculars, believing that they could adjust their body temperature to the surrounding environment. And he said that bullets would just bounce off of them. And apparently, in one of his journals, he wrote, If you try to hunt one, you will find that you are the one being hunted. So he had a really ferocious, hard-set, in-stone belief that these lizard people were controlling the earth and controlling mankind. They were here. And apparently they were in Montgomery Bell State Park. And he further, now this is according to some of the stuff that, that the feds have released, he composed a countless number of essays that he printed out or loaded on the flash drives and put those in manila envelopes and sent them out to various people, friends, and acquaintances and stuff across the country before he blew himself up. So I really want to read this. I hope the FBI releases some of this, if not all of it. Now, American conspiracy theories that attract a wide audience tend to be built around historic events like... Uh, JFK's assassination, all right? While this theory, this this British theory of shape-shifting lizard people is kind of on the fringe, is on the extremes, um, it's not that common here in the States, although I'm sure there are lots of people who, who believe in this theory. But this is a really extreme theory that that uh, David Icke has been making a living off on for decades, since the 90s. Uh, The idea gained popularity for Icke, um, I want to say it was probably the mid or late 90s. It was 94, 98, sometime around in there, after uh, David Icke wrote about it uh, in a book. And uh, I can't remember the name of the book off the top of my head, and I really don't care what the name of it is. Um, anyway, he wrote about it, and in the book he accused uh, a lot of famous people like Queen Elizabeth II, uh, the Bush family, uh, the Rothschilds. He accuses these people of being reptilians, and he organized seminars uh, that where he would preach his theory, and at the end of the seminars the participants would try to dance away the Lizard power, some, and I, oh, I wish I could, I wish I could see what that looks like. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. But now, in retrospect, when we're talking to Crystal Deck, she like just going back through her memories, and she's saying, "Hey, I had all these clues." about what was to come, but I couldn't put them together, as is often the case whenever something like this happens, you know, because the clues are just bits and pieces here and there, and they don't make sense by themselves. And they don't make sense until after the event happens, and then you can go back and you think, oh, well, shit. It's so obvious to me now, but then it made no sense, you know, I didn't think about it. So by the time Deck met Warner, he was... (laughs) clearly preparing for something, some sort of transition, because he had largely emptied his house except for an air mattress and a computer in the living room. Everything else was gone. And he hinted that he had been diagnosed with cancer, but she did not apparently pry much into that um, and just let it go for whatever reason. I don't know. Once again, if someone, if I was a friend with somebody and they said, "Oh shit, I've been diagnosed with cancer," be like, "Damn man, what kind of cancer you got? What's what's going on? How can I help? What's what's up?" Apparently, she was just like, uh, he was like, "Oh, I got the cancer." She's like, "Oh, that's that's terrible." Next, uh, I don't know what kind of friends these people are. It's just weird. So, in early December, Warner sent a letter to all of his IT clients, telling him, telling them that uh, he was retiring. And the house, remember I said he had uh, given his house to someone? He actually deeded his duplex to the daughter of one of his former girlfriends, and she lived in California. Now, Crystal Deck saw him, saw Warner for the last time on December 17th when he showed up at the Waffle House where she works, and he gave her his car, just gave her his car, white, 2007 Pontiac vibe and he also gave her the jacket and gloves that he used to wear when he walked her dog and when he did this he implied to her that you know I I, I don't have much time the cancer's it's just just it's ravaging my body I don't have much time left so on Christmas morning was when he hatched his evil plan Surveillance camera footage released by the Nashville Metro Police Department showed that Warner drove his RV downtown at 1.22 in the morning, and he parked on that tree-lined street filled with Victorian-era brick warehouses and just a few new buildings. This man, there was restaurants down there, condominiums, souvenir stores, you name it, right there at the intersection of 2nd and Commerce. Now, this street runs perpendicular to Broadway, which is probably the most famous street in Nashville because this is where, this is the main tour spot. This is where everything happens. This is where all your honky-tonks are. This is your live music. Uh, all of the uh, nightclubs and rooftop bars are down there. Kid Rock's got a club down there. Um, who's a Florida Georgia line, has a club down there. Um, dude that's engaged to Gwen Stefani, whatever the hell his name is, Blake Shelton, he's got a club down there. Um, everybody that's seen anybody's got a club down there. Um, so that's on Broadway. And, of course, it historic area, but thank God he didn't park on Broadway. Thank God he parked it on that perpendicular street on 2nd Avenue. So around 4.30 in the morning, several residents were awakened by what they said were loud, rapid bursts of gunfire, and they called the cops. And the police officers who responded found no indication of shots fired and um, had nothing to pursue, at that point in time, but they did see the RV down there and they did hear the music playing and they did hear the warning that was going out uh, later on. So even though they found no evidence of gunfire, they did see the suspicious vehicle. Now, Crystal Dex said that Warner used gunfire noises as a ringtone on his cell phone. So we know he had them. So she personally knows that he had gunfire ringtones. She knows that he had that song by Petulia Clark downtown. And she also knows that he had a pre recorded female voice on his laptop. Hmm. It all adds up, right? So he apparently used the gunfire sound that morning to attract attention because there was. The, guns, the gunfire sound, and then this computerized female voice, like Dick said that she saw him playing around with, the same voice that he was doing weeks, manipulating weeks earlier, that began coming from the vehicle saying, stay clear of this vehicle, evacuate now, do not approach this vehicle and that's when the police started evacuating as many people as they could. And uh, here is, let's see, I can't I can't I can't remember. I lost my. Um, let's see if it's this one. Nope, that's downtown Bapatuia Clark. Is this one? Here's here's actual video or audio of the. Um, pre-recorded female voice and from the explosion, so. That was the warning and then the explosion. And as um, in, interspersed with all of this warning of stay clear of this vehicle, evacuate now, do not approach, and it was given this 15-minute warning, interspersed with that would be snippets from the song Downtown by Petulia Clark. When
0: you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown.
1: That was playing, interspersed with this 15-minute countdown. And then at 6.30 a.m., that's when this giant explosion erupted around the RV and the resulting uh, blast just took out basically the entire city block of 2nd Avenue down there luckily though the area was largely deserted because of it being christmas day and warner was the only person killed along with his dog stupid bastard he could have given his dog away so that is pretty much everything that we know so not a lot of new information has come up since i did part 3 with the exception of the testimony as i as i call it for something like for lack of better terminology, uh, from what Crystal Deck and um, his other friend, um, Pamela um, Perry, from what, what they have said. So those are really the only new sources of info that I have been able to uh, source since part three. But once again, hopefully here in a couple of weeks, if not sooner, We'll have the final FBI report and maybe they'll release some of the documents that he sent out to everyone. So we still don't know exactly why he did it. So did the reptilian belief play a part in it? Was it because he had cancer? Was it a combination of both? And the location that he chose, right in front of the AT and T hub, did he know that parking in front of that area and blowing that up was going to cause as much disruption as what he what it did, or was that his hope with that he would it would do that? Um, his father used to work for Bell South, which was bought up by AT and T, um, and. Retired not too long after AT and T uh, took over Bell South. So, did he? Um, of course, he had some inside knowledge. Uh, I'm sure he had to have. Did was this some sort of revenge plot against AT and T for buying up Bell South, or maybe he perceived that his dad did something was was wrongly mist mistreat, was mistreated or wrongly done or something? We just don't know. Um, I personally. Unless the FBI has managed to source some stuff from some doctors, um, I personally don't buy into the whole cancer thing. I think that he was using that as an excuse to give away his stuff. What's going to cause the least amount of uh, questioning? Well, I'll just tell him I have cancer. I'm not going to tell him I'm giving away all my shit because I'm going to blow up Nashville, right? So I, I don't subscribe to that. I don't believe that, was, that played a factor in anything. I think that was totally made up. I could be wrong, and if I am, that's fine. I don't mind being wrong. However, I don't think I am. We shall see, hopefully in a few weeks. I really think that... Now, first of all, we may not ever know why he did what he did unless something was in all those documents and flash drives that he mailed out to people or he had a journal or or left a manifesto or a confession or something somewhere. Uh, I, I don't know of any smoking gun right now that says, you know, this is why he did it. All we can do is speculate at this point until the FBI releases their final report. I do think that the reptilian conspiracy theory played, if it played a part in it at all, I believe that part was minimal. I think that he had some sort of conspiracy theory or grudge against AT&T. Now, maybe he thought that the reptilians were controlling AT&T. Maybe he thought that they owned it or something. I don't know. That's a possibility. Um, But I think that the reason why he did what he did, I think you're going to find out that AT&T played a bigger role in the whole entire thing than what it did. Uh, because the reason I say this is because if he was trying to take out the lizard people, then and he thought that they were inhabiting Montgomery Bell State Park, wouldn't it have made more sense for him to drive his RV to Montgomery Bell State Park and blow himself up there? Unless he thought that, like I said, that maybe their, their headquarters moved to the AT&T building or whatever, I don't know. I just think AT and T is going to play more of a factor in this than than what we know. Um, I don't. We at first thought this was you know a terrorist attack, or maybe it was a like a feeler attack by a terrorist cell. But we now know that it it wasn't a terrorist attack. What he did was domestic terrorism, as far as I'm concerned. But it wasn't a terrorist attack by uh, a terrorist group. Um, we, we don't know if he really meant to cause all of the disruption in communications that he did. But given his background in IT, given his background in computers, and uh, given his background in the fact that he used to work for an alarm company, and uh, he also used to uh, deal in explosives, you know, um, there's just so many things Um yeah, I mean, I, I think that AT&T is probably going to play a large role in this some way, somehow. Do the lizard, do the reptilians have uh, uh, anything to do with it? I don't think, I, I don't know. I think their role in this is going to be small, unless he thought they were somehow controlling AT&T or maybe that that was their headquarters or something. But... Once again, it just seems to make sense that if he thought the reptilians were in Montgomery Bell State Park and he used to go there hunting them all the time, maybe he should have drove his RV down to Montgomery Bell State Park and blew himself up there where the reptilians were. So I'm thinking AT&T is going to be the key to this. And it could all just be coincidence. He might have really had cancer and wanted to take himself out in sort of some sort of spectacular fashion and just just so happened to accidentally have parked in front of the at and t hub didn't mean to take out all the communications and all that sorts of stuff that could totally be yet. But if you got cancer and you want to kill yourself, why blow yourself up in the middle of downtown Nashville? If you're going to bring attention to yourself, just blowing yourself up period is going to bring attention to yourself. So if you wanted to bring attention to the reptilians, and all these conspiracy theories he was believing, he could have done that somewhere else. He could have gone to a deserted field somewhere and blew himself up, and I guess it wouldn't have brought, brought the kind of attention that blowing up downtown Nashville did. But, I mean, gosh, a historic district, downtown Nashville, just to make a statement. I mean, I don't know. he obviously didn't want people to get hurt. So... He was thinking about that. I don't know, man. There's so much There's so much that we don't know, and all we can do is speculate at this point. So that about does it until the FBI releases their final report sometime next month. I hope that you enjoyed tonight's part four episode of the Nashville Bomber. Let me know what your ideas and thoughts about it are. Send me an email, sandman at parareality.com, or get in touch with me through my social media accounts. That would be Parareality on Facebook, facebook.com sandman.parareality. Follow me on Inst- Instagram and Twitter, at Radio on both of those. You can always call me at the studio line, leave me a message, 615-692-1170. And uh, don't forget to go to parareality.com because that's a place where you can keep up on all the latest Paranormal news from all around the world. If you're a paranormal news junkie or a weird news junkie like I am, I got an entire page of the website devoted to paranormal news. It's called Paranews, and that content is updated almost daily. And while you're at Parareality.com, you can also shop in the Parareality store and get some swag and watch some of the terrible videos that I've made for the podcast over the years. I had that short-lived web. TV series thing that was horrible 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 um, but I've uploaded those to uh, um, my YouTube channel and you can you can watch them there and I've got, also got some videos on the website and, and I've man, I've, I've I've added a lot of content and I've moved some pages around to make make the website a little bit more user friendly I think so be sure to check out parareality.com now if you're one of those people who really don't Do social media or you don't have Facebook or maybe you don't have Twitter or Instagram, but you wanna you wanna follow me on social media, but you don't want to create an account just to follow the podcast, don't worry. I've got you covered on that because I got an entire page of parareality.com devoted solely to my social media accounts. That's right, baby. Every Facebook post or tweet or Instagram picture or whatever can be found right there on the website under the social media tab. So you don't have to create a social media account if you don't want to. Social media is where you can find out all about what's happening in the world of reality here behind the scenes of the podcast because that's where I post a lot of interesting articles and show topics and other interesting stuff like my travels and investigations. Parareality.com is really your one-stop shopping for everything that's happening in the parareality universe. Speaking of parareality, the podcast can be heard on your favorite podcast station. Just search for ParaReality. And if you have a smart speaker, you can listen there too. If you got any of those podcast skills on your smart speaker device, just say, play the ParaReality podcast. I've also got a YouTube channel, and you can listen to the podcast there to upload all the audio there to the podcast so you can listen. I don't know why you want to just listen to the audio on YouTube, but I do have people who do that. It's also got some, some great videos, terrible videos go along with that. But I've also got some great videos like UFO and paranormal documentaries and uh, documentaries on chemtrails. And it's a, uh, Got some of those terrible show videos that I did on on my short-lived web TV show. Like I said, it was, it was so horrible because I had no help. and was trying to do it myself, and it was horrible. Uh, but I, I posted up there for your entertainment. So to find the channel, just go to youtube.com slash user slash parareality1. That's the number one. And I also have a Patreon account for the podcast, and I'd love it if you'd sign up to be a patron. There are three tiers of support and all are extremely affordable. $5 a month or less. Each level offers exclusive content along with the ability to help create podcast episodes and even the chance to be a guest or a co-host. So to learn more to become an agent of chaos, the knowledgeable apprentices of Sandman, head on over to patreon.com slash parareality and take a Take a look around there. Join up for one of those tiers. Hundred percent of the proceeds from Patreon goes back into producing quality content for this podcast, as well as everything from my swag store. Everything that I don't make a dime off of this, I put it right directly back into producing quality content for this podcast. Now i have finished ranting and raving and giving you all the ways you can contact me and help support the show and all that sorts of stuff, it's time to sign off, man. The next episode of Reality is going to air on March 19th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time, so make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. I hope this podcast opens up your mind to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope you have a wonderful evening, wonderful weekend, and I'll see you again in a couple of weeks. If you wish to change,
0: you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.